0: This is Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. Last week was basically a write off for many of New York's arts organizations. Superstorm Sandy shut down theaters, knocked out power to downtown clubs, and submerged art galleries. For many, the storm also destroyed paintings, musical instruments, and recording equipment. Joining us to talk about Sandy's impact on cultural organizations and how this could signal a turning point for the arts are three guests. Kate Levin is commissioner of the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs. Pia Catton is an arts columnist at the Wall Street Journal. And on the phone is John Strobin, president of the Brooklyn Waterfront Artists Coalition, which is based in a warehouse on the Red Hook waterfront. Commissioner Levin... How damaging was Superstorm Sandy to New York's art scene? I think the the range of damages we're seeing is
1: pretty widespread. There are organizations that have had pretty severe property damage, but almost everyone has had some kind of revenue loss, uh, had to suspend performances or uh, stop services. The good news is that almost all of our organizations are back in business, back performing, and that audiences have been very enthusiastic about going to see these kinds of offerings again. So I don't think long term, it will be a turning point in the interest in consuming culture. But we do have a number of organizations that have uh, a lot on their hands
0: to deal with in terms of getting back on track business-wise. And Pia, you have reported on a lot of those organizations, everything from Chelsea Galleries to Carnegie Hall, jazz clubs. Who took the worst hit?
2: Well, I think it's hard to say. But one thing that that keeps impressing me is The pricelessness of a lot of things, even if you think about dancers who can't use the rehearsal time that they've scheduled, Um, you think about jazz musicians who are on a very small budget and lose one gig, that's a huge impact to their lives. So it's hard to really put it all on on a spectrum if you monetize it. It goes you into can't the compare. Of, it, it's very hard to compare. A week's worth of Carnegie Hall to a, a month's <laughs> worth of rent for a jazz artist. It's I true. Guess. It's a it's a major spectrum. And I think artists really felt it on so many different levels. So many visual artists have lost pieces of work. They've been called by people who have their work in collections and say, I just got off the phone with an artist who said he's being asked to come in to a collector's home and look at a piece and see if it could be restored or fixed in some way because they fear that it's been lost beyond repair. So this is not even artists in their studios. This is people who
0: have the work in their personal collections, and it's been damaged. Yes. exactly. Well, John, you are sitting there in an artist's collective. The Brooklyn Waterfront Artists Coalition lives, so to speak, in a 25,000-square-foot gallery on the first floor of a warehouse. Now, what condition is your gallery in now?
3: It's split between the first and second floor. 8,500 square feet is on the ground floor. And those 8,500 feet were under five feet of water. So everything, walls, all materials and everything else were soaked and destroyed. We were lucky. Our fall show had closed the week before the hurricane, and we were able to take all the work that was on the display and move it up to the second floor, which received no damage. So
0: you so had done that before the storm?
3: Before the storm. The timing was very lucky in our case. If we were going to be flooded, it was the time to be flooded. It's also a time, we have a little bit of a time to recover, to rebuild before our spring season starts over again. But the damage on the ground floor, and our gallery was seen on the front of the New York Times cover. That was our street. Before the storm had actually hit land, we were already underwater. Because we're right at the very end of Van Brunt, literally on the water. And then in the water. We were helped this last weekend with a tremendous outpouring of volunteers, and well over 100 people came and helped us throw away tons of sheetrock and things. So we are tripped back down to the bare concrete floors and 150 year old granite walls.
0: Did you ever have a plan in case of a storm surge like this?
3: Well, last year we had about eight inches of water come in.
0: That was during Irene?
3: With Irene. Uh, That damaged the bottom of a number of walls, but luckily we're in a warehouse, so it isn't like all our things are perfect anyway. So we were able to just repair a modest amount. We never anticipated losing things up to 5 feet.
1: What I'm hearing a lot is people plan for 3 feet, but, you know, if it's 3 feet 5 inches, the extra 5 inches does an enormous amount of damage. And, you know, I think in combination with the winds and other elements of this particular episode, uh, you know, it was very, very difficult to avoid some kind of damage
0: depending on where your property was located. Well, Kate, should some of these businesses now reconsider where they are set up or where they are going to set up in the future if they're looking at spaces like this, especially when it comes to low-lying areas, Brooklyn, Queens, even Manhattan? I think,
1: you know, organizations have always had to be savvy about location for any number of things, whether it's transportation or, you know, access issues, etc. I'm sure people will now be much more sensitive to issues of weather condition. But I also am hopeful that people will think differently about planning for a whole range of disasters. And in addition, think about how to recover from them. One of the things that we've been really urging everyone to do is document the damage before you start throwing things away. It will be essential for any kind of insurance recovery, disaster funding recovery, to be able to document the damage, and people are understandably so traumatized and shocked that, and for health purposes, what their first instinct is, is to throw the stuff out uh, you really have to take pictures take pictures, and, you know, do whatever you can. And if there is a way of recovering, you know, the receipt for the computer, you got to really try because the saddest moment will be for people who really did sustain damages if they can't document it. And
0: in this online age, does it obviously now make sense to be backing things up into the cloud so that you have... Mm-hmm. Records that are not physical, soggy records.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think issues around redundancy, it's the wrong moment to be saying to people, gee, you should have thought differently. But, you know, hopefully moving ahead, that is something that will, you know, just be metabolized
0: into uh, the way everybody does business in this field. Now, speaking of losses, Pia, the Martha Graham Dance Company, New York City Opera, the Experimental Performance Space, the kitchen, they all suffered huge damage to things like sets, archival materials when their facilities flooded.
2: City Opera, they experienced flooding in a basement of their office building, and in their basement were boxes and boxes of papers and they're really not even sure exactly what is there but it has been removed it's now a lot of these boxes are being shipped to a facility in Pennsylvania that can that can take a piece of wet paper and you know this could be a orchestral part with a conductor's notes all over it and these are things that need to be preserved there's some knowledge there that's not right, we are not just anywhere. talking any uh, old papers we're talking Eric Leinsdorf made his personal notes it, about how a piece should be played exactly. something that's one-of-a-kind. And that's why they kept it as a part of their music library. So there's a process that can freeze paper and then unfreeze it in a chamber that allows the ice crystals to turn into gas so the paper is never re-wetted. And that is the process that City Opera is going to be going through to find some of these items.
0: John, had you and other artists in low-lying areas like Red Hook ever thought about where your art was stored?
3: Well, regrettably, a lot of our artists live and work here in Red Hook, and the basement is the place you put the work that hasn't sold recently your old work. So a lot of them lost the majority of their lifetime collections into the basement. That's part of the reconstruction, is we will reconfigure our space so that we were prepared, we thought, for a four-foot swell. We'd put up four-foot walls with sandbags and things. But as you said, five feet, just took that four-foot away and washed it away.
0: Right. Jeff London reported for NPR about cooperation that has taken place between arts groups, things like sharing rehearsal facilities in the wake of the storm. Pia, Kate, have you seen other examples of this?
1: Well, one of the things, speaking to this issue of conservation, is um, a a group of experts have been offering advice in New York, and um, they're now going to be working with uh, some very generous colleagues at the Smithsonian, trying to put together a comprehensive and very responsive uh, set of resources for artists and organizations across the spectrum of disciplines who need advice and guidance and hopefully actual tactical help uh, conserving things because it's you know in some cases it's paper in some cases it's textiles it's objects made out of wood you know non-metals in other words things that really suffer in addition to canvas paper photographs etc so we're hopeful in the next day or so to be able to provide some really robust and top-flight guidance to individual artists as well as organizations that are looking to try and salvage things. And in addition, I think there has been uh, a real kind of outreach among organizations that are trying to work with each other and help everybody recover as quickly as possible.
2: The Art Dealers Association of America has put together a fund that's going to distribute about a quarter million dollars to its members, but also galleries that are not members, um, and this fund is intended to help people restore the structure of their buildings, things like equipment, computers, anything that can help a gallery get back on its feet so that the industry and that community can really function again. John, obviously you and other places, as Pia just mentioned, funding is
0: now necessary to get up and running or get restored or, in your case, repair your building. How do you ask for money for that at a time when there are still people who are rebuilding their homes out there in the cold?
3: Very, very difficult. Very tough question. We put a request up on our website for donations, but if people can give, fine. If they can't, we will survive. We'll just do our best. It'll take years to recover from this.
0: Kate, does FEMA have any role in helping arts groups? Well, I mean, I
1: think the, the key thing for arts organizations is to think of themselves as small businesses. Um, you know, some of them are, are large small businesses. Um, and, you know, to that extent, recovery dollars that are available, we are extremely hopeful. FEMA will make sure that all affected businesses in New York, which here, you know, culture is a very robust sector, need to be included in that. Um, you know, we also are heartened by the fact that lots of organizations do have some kind of insurance. The concern is that they may not uh, be getting the kind of payouts that they thought that they were entitled to. So, you know, that, that's another piece of this. There's a lot of the the trauma that goes into human beings who are trying to figure stuff out, but then there are also some really sort of technical business issues, and there is absolutely no reason why arts institutions shouldn't be very much part of the larger recovery effort as well as individual artists who are key to that industry. So, you know, I, I think the, the bottom line is that there is a lot of recognition of how valuable the cultural sector is to New York, and we just have to make sure that on a federal level, you know, there have been times when the federal government hasn't been so interested in this sector, but if you're going to help a place like New York City get back on its feet, these are is- essential to involve and include. And, you know, the the city already has a low-interest loan program, working on some swing space, have a program to uh, reduce the cost of capital construction for rebuilding And, you know, these are programs that most arts organizations, both commercial and nonprofit, can take advantage of.
2: I also think it might be interesting to see how audiences react. I mean, once people feel that they can allow themselves to go to the theater, go to symphonies, and really get back out there, um, especially with all the relief efforts happening, I know a lot of people are out there volunteering. um, But I think once the audience gets back on its feet, that hopefully will benefit artists. And also, it'll be interesting to see how artists respond in their work to the storm. Um, There may be things that we don't know that people are working on. And, you know, there is also the danger of responding to something in a way that people will take as capitalizing on it. But I think artists generally respond to things in ways that are very sensitive and explore the feelings that people had in so much devastation. And I think the audience members probably will want to connect with that. John, have
0: you seen this already in, in your own work or any of the work of the painters you're associated with?
3: Um, I haven't put one minute into the work <laughs> in the last two weeks, and most of the people I'm dealing with are just trying to dig out. I'm sure it will come through. It The impressions are sinking into my body and soul and will come out down the road, but it's not happening now. I'm totally preoccupied with recovery and recovery. Reconstruction.
0: Does anybody think that there's maybe a chance that crowdsourcing donations, something like Kickstarter, could be effective in helping this for arts organizations that maybe have smaller but vocal fan bases?
1: I think the most urgent part of any recovery process is literally getting human beings back to having body and soul together, you know, food, shelter, heat. But I think, you know, again, there's also this larger consideration about how the institutions and organizations that serve us and that we count on are made whole and become functional, and I think there, you know, that's where we are working very uh, carefully to try and assess what those damages are, what those needs are, and you know, to what extent is it really about funding? Is it about marketing? Is it about making it okay for people to feel like it's an appropriate response to undertake this kind of work? Is it okay to enjoy yourself? Um, Has anybody official tried to put a price tag on all of this yet? Some of the industries I think Broadway just posted, I think they're they calculated their loss from, from mostly from cancelled performances at around uh, 8.6 million dollars. And um, you know the Department of Cultural Affairs we've asked organizations to tell us about their property damage, about their potential revenue losses or their estimated revenue losses about their insurance coverage and yeah, we're hopeful as we uh, get those responses we've had about uh, 20 percent of our organizations start giving us that information that we will be able to put a price tag on it it certainly helps further down the road when we are advocating for uh, various kinds of relief funds to be able to put a number on this and it's part of this larger economic picture that the city needs to understand
3: everyone i've talked to is not giving up and moving away they're, they're in it for the long haul.
2: I think, though, that the physicality of artwork is the m- most kind of, it's the, it's the medium in which you can really see the destruction of something. And that is just so devastating to people. I mean, I, I think um, people really need to understand how deeply that affects the whole community.
1: I don't think anyone gets into being an artist for any reason other than they absolutely can't do anything else. So, you know, by definition, it's an extraordinarily resilient community. And, you know, so I think uh, ultimately individual artists, individual organizations are constantly facing disasters of one kind or another. The fact that this is a collectivized one in some ways makes, you know, everybody's a little bit feeding off of a collective kind of resilience, uh, which I think will be very helpful. So, you know, you... By definition, you're dealing with a constituency uh, that has tenacity built into it.
3: I was just going to say the outpouring of support we saw this weekend was heartwarming. People who came and volunteered to help do the cleanup was amazing. I want to thank them all.
0: Well, thank you very much for participating in this in the middle of your cleanup. John Strobeen, president of the Brooklyn Waterfront Artists Coalition. And thank you to Pia Catton of the Wall Street Journal and Commissioner Kate Levin of the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs. Thank you. Thank you. you. This has been Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. Brian Wise is our producer. Bill O'Neill is our engineer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.